Well, we're back in Isaiah this morning, so if you want to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 37, Isaiah 37, we'll be looking at that whole chapter this morning. Um, Over the years uh, since I've been around, there's been times in our country when severe difficulties came. I take the... uh, kind of the outline of my message uh, from verse 3, a time of distress, rebuke, and rejection. Those happened. I I remember, well, I don't remember, but eight days before I was born in 1941, uh, there was the attack on Pearl Harbor, which was devastating for our country. Um, 20 years later, in 1961, we had... uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Do you remember that? Maybe some of you don't remember that, but I remember that. I was in the United States Air Force, and we were getting ready to load the 101st Airborne onto our C-130s to drop them into Cuba, and we came that close to a nuclear thermonuclear war. Two years later, uh, our dear President Kennedy was shot and killed. Many of you remember that. And then, of course, uh, 9-11. Um, and what happened there. And our country um, could be described here in verse 4. It says, uh, the children have come to birth and there's no strength to deliver them. A time of distress, a time of hardship. Well, the reason I bring this up is our text has brought the uh, Assyrian armies to the very gates of Jerusalem. And they've invaded the, the whole land of Israel and they're now encircling Jerusalem. And in chapter 36, if you remember, you were with us a couple weeks ago, we talked about how uh, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, had sent his uh, envoy, Rabshanketh, his name, and he was there to try and get the, uh, the people in Jerusalem to give up. So he attacked their king, he attacked their defenses, he attacked their army, and he attacked their god. Um, so chapter 37 opens up uh, with the events directly following uh, what happened that day. And so we're going to look in that. And as I look at this text, I see three um, realities, three truths that come in these times, whether it's uh, the Assyrian army circling Jerusalem or uh, 9-11 happening or... Uh, the day President Kennedy was shot. That was a time of distress, a time of anguish. Um, And it could be a time of distress, it could be a time of rebuke, it could be a time of rejection. And in all those times, there's there's three realities that we have to come to terms with and we have to deal with them and respond in a godly way. So that's my thesis we're going to be looking at. We're looking at those three realities. Now, I'm going to be kind of jumping around this passage, as you can see in, in your bulletin. So I'm first, before we, we get into it, I want to give you just a, a, a gist, just a kind of an overall look, okay? So Isaiah 37, first, through first four verses, uh, King Hezekiah sends some people to ask Isaiah, his buddy, to pray. And he does pray. And we see the results of that in verses five through seven. And then beginning in verse eight, 
Um, the Assyrian army is slightly distracted by an attack in a town, in, so they pull away from Jerusalem, and Hezekiah is thinking, hey, everything's great, they left. But then Rabshakeh sends him a letter, and he says, I'm not done with you yet. I'm coming back. And so then Isaiah, beginning in verse um, around verse 16, starts to pray. He prays again. And then the Lord answers in verses 21 uh, and following, and then we see how the Lord delivers it. So we have two times Isaiah prays, and then God deals with the Assyrian army. So that's an overview. And I didn't want you to be confused as we kind of go through um, this chapter. Hopefully my explanation didn't confuse you more, but you'll hang in there with me. So before we do, let's probably good to pray, wouldn't you think? Father, we, we have times of each one of us, whether in our personal life or with our country or our church or even in our families, a time of distress or a time of rebuke or a time that we've been rejected. And so these are circumstances that we're not unfamiliar with. So may you use your word and help us to understand uh, what are some of the things that take place, whether it be in our lives or our country's lives or going all the way back to a time when Hezekiah was king. And may uh, the word of God help us to stand against the forces that oftentimes come against us as believers or as persons. So we ask your, your insight and your Holy Spirit to help us with that in Jesus' name. Amen. First reality we see is found in verses 1 through 4 and verses 8 through 20. It's important to bring all of one's concerns to the Lord. It's important to bring all of one's concerns to the Lord. Um, now, you, you might say, well, that's, well, yeah, we know that, but there's a little bit more to it than that. Let's take a look. Verses 1 through 4, let's read along with me, and it should be on the overhead. And when King Hezekiah heard it, that is what Rabshanketh had said, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and entered the house of the Lord. Then he sent Eliakim, who was over the household with Shebda, the scribe, and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, a day of rebuke and rejection. For children have come to birth, and there's no strength to deliver. Verse 4, perhaps the Lord your God will hear the words of Rabshanketh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, offer up a prayer for the, remem the remnant that is left. Okay. So Isaiah, Hezekiah, sends word to Isaiah, hey, pray for me. Pray for us. Okay. Let's take a look at the, the foundation of the second prayer, verse 8. Then Ramshaketh returned and found that the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he had heard that the king had left Lachish. 
When he heard them saying concerning Tirhaka, king of Cush, he has come out to fight against you. And when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah saying, thus you shall say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you saying Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, destroying them completely. So you'll be spared? Did the gods of those nations, which my father has destroyed, destroy, deliver them, even Gozan and Haran and Rizpha and the sons of Edom, who were in Telassar? Where's the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sherevim, and Hena and Eva? Then Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it, and he went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, who is enthroned above the cherubims, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And listen to all the words of Sennacherib, who sent them to reproach the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated all the countries and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of man's hands, wood and stone, so they have destroyed them. Now, O Lord God, deliver us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. So what we see in these verses, it's important to bring all of one's concerns to the Lord in a day of distress, in a day of rebuke, in a day of rejection. Now, you'll say, well, Pastor Neil, um, that's obvious. That's obvious. But I want you to notice there's a kind of a three-step process in this, so bear with me. The first step is in 2 Kings chapter 18, which is not reported in this passage, 2 Kings 18. Hezekiah sees the armies of Assyria coming down with Sennacherib, and he sees there that he has perhaps overestimated his ability to withstand the Assyrians, and so he sends envoys and gifts up to Sennacherib before he gets to Jerusalem in the hope to kind of placate Sennacherib, so he won't come down and destroy Jerusalem. Now, it's interesting. Jesus, in the Gospels, in Luke 14, and he's talking about, in that passage, Jesus is talking about uh, counting the cost. And he uses this analogy. He says, which of you, if you were a king, had 10,000 men, and the armies that uh, are facing you have 20,000. Which of you will not first, before you go to battle, count the cost, and if you can't beat them, make some sort of accommodation so that things don't go bad for you? Uh, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, said, if you're bringing a gift to the altar and you know that someone has ought against you, Set aside the gift, go and try to make amends with those who oppose you, and then come and make the, altar, the gift at the altar. 
So Hezekiah is trying his best, uh, along with these kind of practices, to alleviate the threat. But unfortunately, Sennacherib accepts his gifts and then comes down to Jerusalem anyway. Uh, Paul writes in Romans chapter 14, uh, Romans chapter 12, excuse me, as much as is possible, be at peace with all men. Um, and so Hezekiah tries that, but it doesn't work. Okay, that's his first step. Now, when the Assyrians show up at his door a few months later, uh, he sends word to Isaiah. That's the second step. So the first step is try and reconcile. The second step, however, is he sends word to Isaiah. Pray for me. <laughs> Pray for us. Things are not looking very good. Now, notice in verse 4 his words. He says, perhaps the Lord your God. Perhaps. Perhaps. What, what are you talking about, Isaiah? Uh, Hezekiah. And, and from that I get this, this idea. Oftentimes when a day of distress or a day of rebuke or a day of rejection comes in your life, in my life, sometimes if we don't have enough faith and our faith is a little, uh, perhaps, Lord, uh, maybe you ought to find somebody who's got a little bit more faith than you and say, hey, would you pray for me? Um, we have these cards in front of you. This is a little commercial here. Uh, there's a place for prayer. Maybe you're going through a day of distress anytime. That's what this card is for. You write it down. Say, hey, pray for me. Now, if you want this request to go to the prayer chain, which is a whole bunch of ladies throughout the church, we send it out to ladies in the church who will pray. So maybe things are kind of Maybe your day of distress is kind of, uh, uh, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Write it down. We'll pray for you. Have the pastors pray for you. Have the ladies pray for you. Then we put it on a prayer sheet, and we send it out to a whole bunch of people in the church, not ladies, but mostly, mostly ladies, but also some guys, and we'll pray for you. And then on Thursday night, at, from 6.30 to 7.30, we have a prayer meeting, and guess what we do? We take these requests, if you've allowed us to, to publish them, and we pray for you on Thursday from 6.30 to 7.30. And you're welcome to come to that. Maybe things are kind of not going, everything's going south and you need prayer. Uh, we have ladies who pray uh, for the prodigals. You have a prodigal that maybe is kind of going south? We have a prodigal prayer. We also have ladies praying for the children, for the schools. We have our small groups. In our small groups, we pray for you. Uh, we have small men's group, accountability groups. We've set them up. Pastor Brian set them up. And we pray for one another. We have mentoring relationships with the ladies. And we pray for you. So there's lots of opportunities when you don't have, and you're kind of, your faith is kind of, I don't know how we're going to get out of this. Find somebody else who has more faith. And, and that's exactly what Hezekiah does. He says, well, perhaps. And he says, uh, Isaiah, would you pray for me? Pray for our country. Pray for the city. That's the second thing. Now, finally, when uh, Rabshakeh kind of withdraws and he thinks, oh boy, things are going good. Uh, no, Rabshakeh sends this letter. He says, hey, I've withdrawn because I got some business at this other town, but I'm going to be back and I'm going to get you. 
And so what does he do? This time, I love it. Look at verse 14. He takes the letter and he spreads it out. He goes into the temple. He's not asking Isaiah anymore. He spreads the letter out and he says, Lord, look at this. Look at this guy. And then we see uh, the prayer that he, uh, he gives beginning in verse 16. Now, notice verse 16, what he does. Verse 16, he says, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, who's enthroned above the cherubims, you alone are God. You alone of all the kings of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. First thing he does is exalts the Lord. He lifts up the Lord. That's a good way to start a prayer, isn't it? Remember how the Lord told us in the Sermon on the Mount? Pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, what did he say? Hallowed be your name. Lifted up is your name. He exalts the Lord. Psalm 100 says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. That's what he does in verse 16. Good way to start prayer. Then, notice verses 17 through 19, he brings a specific request. He lays it all out. He says, look at the letter. He lays it out, what he wants. And then, he asks in verse 20, what? That in whatever happens, may the Lord be glorified. Notice what he says. And now, O Lord, deliver us from the hand of the kingdoms of the earth, that we, everybody might know that you and you alone are God, that God will be glorified. So he gives praise to God. He brings his request, and then he asks, whatever happens, God, may, you, may everybody know that you and you alone are the true and living God. So, First reality, when a day of distress or difficulty comes in your life, is bring all of your concerns to the Lord. Now, we saw that in 9-11. Do you remember? Were you in church the day after, the week after 9-11? The church was full. All the churches were full. The same thing happened when President Kennedy was shot. Same thing happened during the Cuban. Same thing happened during uh, Pearl Harbor. But we seem to have... uh, the propensity of the people that existed during the judges. Do you remember in the book of Judges? Things would go bad, and what would people do? They'd all run into, oh, God, please save us, and God would save us, and as soon as things got better, what would happen? They'd go back to their old ways. And that's the story of the book of Judges. So things haven't changed too much, have they? No. We all run into the church. Everybody runs into the church when difficulty and distress and rebuke Rejection come, and then when things go back to normal, we all just go back to our own old ways. Well, that shows that we haven't changed too much, have we? It also shows the patience of the Lord, doesn't it? Because guess what? If you read the book of Judges, every time they called, what did he do? He rescued them. Shows It shows our inconsistencies, and it shows the grace and the patience of the Lord. Important to bring all of one's concerns to the Lord. Second reality, second reality, it's important to leave room for the sovereign work of God. It's important to leave room for the sovereign work of God. So it looks like the bottom's dropped out, it looks like everything's going bad, but wait, 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 don't forget, God is at work. Let's take a look. When Isaiah prays, The answer comes in verses 5 and 6. But look with me. Well, actually, verse 5, 6, and 7. So the the servants of the king of Isaiah came to Isaiah. Isaiah prays, and then he says to them, Look, 
Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the servant of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so he will hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. Okay? So things look bad, but guess what? It's not going to turn out that way. Then look with me in verses 30 through 38. Now, Isaiah, um, Hezekiah prays the second time, and then the answer comes in verses 21 uh, through 32, but I'm going to skip past the first part of the answer that, that God gives him, and I want to look at uh, how he's going to deal with this situation. Uh, so, um, beginning in verse 30, let's read that. Then this is the sign for you. You will eat the ear what grows itself. In the second year, what springs from the same. In the third year, sow, reap, plant vineyards, and eat their fruit. The surviving remnant of the house of Judah will again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem will go forth a remnant, and out of Mount Zion, survivors, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So first thing he says is, Jerusalem, you're going to be all right. It's going to be okay. I'm going to take care of you. Don't worry. Then he goes on. In verse 33, he begins to talk about the king of Assyria and the army. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he will not come to this city or shoot an arrow there, and he will not come before it with a siege, with a shield, or throw up a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, by the same way he will return. And he will not come into this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant's David's sake. Then the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men arose early the next morning, behold, all these were dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived in Nineveh. And it came about, as he was worshiping in the house of Nishrach, his god, two of his sons killed him with a sword, and they escaped in the land of Arat. Then Ashar Haddon, his son, became king in his place. It's important to leave room for the sovereign work of God. Now, a couple of thoughts concerning this phrase when I say it's important to leave room for the sovereignty of God, the sovereign work of God. A couple of thoughts. First, first, it doesn't mean that it'll all work out the way you want it. It doesn't mean that it'll work out all the way that you want it. Classic example, or the number one example is who? is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember? We'll look at it at our home groups study this week. Jesus comes to the garden, and he knows what is about to happen to him. So what's his prayer? And he prays how many times? Three times. Let this, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Remember the words? As, so he wasn't looking forward to what was about the beatings and the crucifixion and the death and all that. He says, but if there's any other way, Lord... I, would you take it? And, but he says, how does he end his prayer? Yet not my will, but your will. See that? He was willing to let the sovereign work of God, even though 
he was struggling with what was about to happen to him. And like us, oftentimes, uh, we have other plans. Uh, we see this day of distress or this day of rebuke or this day of rejection. Okay, I see what happened. And now this is what you have to do. Uh, it, you know, it's nice to pray that, following the example of Jesus. You know, go ahead and pray. Lay it out all before God. But in the end, you have to say, but hmm, not my will, but your will be done. Because it always, well, I find as I mumble, bumble through life, that many times what I want never works out. But sometimes God works it out in a much better way. I found that true for me. So it doesn't mean that it'll always work out the way you want it. Okay. Secondly, when I talk about leaving room for the sovereign work of God, it doesn't mean that you won't be tested through it. It doesn't mean that you won't be tested through it. Now, we're going to turn to the New Testament for a while, and we'll look at a few verses that will help us understand that. The first one is in the book of James, chapter 1. Book of James, chapter 1. I haven't put it on, on the overhead because I want you to turn in your Bible with me. James, chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter, and I'll insert days of distress, rebuke, and rejection, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, when he's talking about testing, it, 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 what it means is like um, hardening, strengthening, you know, when you test something, it's like when you take metal and you test it, and you put it through the fire, it, it becomes hard. So he's thinking, so, so that your faith becomes strong. Uh, and notice what he says in verse 5, going back to my first point. But if any of you lack wisdom, do what? Let him ask of God. Ah. So uh, just because the sovereignty of God is at work doesn't mean that you won't be tested. Another passage you want to look at, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Most of you are very familiar with that, but I'll read it just to refresh your minds. Paul has a thorn in the flesh. He has a, a, a day when uh, things are not going well. And look what he says. Verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 12. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason... To keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. And he says, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times, just like Jesus, that it might leave me. He was saying, Lord, if there's any way this can pass from me. <laughs> but what did he say? Verse 9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, this is Paul, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with rebuke, with rejection. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Doesn't mean you won't be tested. Um, 
The last passage I want to look at is real quick. And you won't have to turn there, but listen to what Peter says. This is 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal. And can I insert this? Beloved, do not be surprised by the days of distress, rebuke, and rejection which come upon you, which come upon you for your testing, for your maturing, as though some strange thing. I love that phrase. As you're saying, what is happening here? It's as if some strange, like God is out of control. No, it's, God's not out of control. <laughs> some weird thing is happening to you. He says, uh, don't be surprised because oftentimes when a day of distress or rebuke or rejection come, it means that God is using that, that, that time to strengthen you harden you, to make you strong. That's what he's talking about. So it doesn't mean that it'll all work out the way you want, nor does it mean that you won't be tested. But what it does mean, here's what it does mean, that all things will work out to his glory. That's what it does mean. (laughs) That all things will work out to his glory. Uh, Still staying in the New Testament, in Romans, a great book, Paul is writing about the gospel. Wonderful book. And in chapters 9, 10, and 11, he deals with this whole issue of the Jews. Okay, well, if the Jews are God's people and they have the old covenant, how do we figure that out with the new covenant and the non-Jewish people who are coming into the kingdom of God? How does that all work out? And so he spends Three chapters taking, doing a very convoluted study on how to figure out how the Jewish people fit with this new covenant. Okay? Inductive study. Wonderful. Chapters 9, 10, and 11. The end of chapter 11. Listen to what he says. Chapter 11, verse 33. Look what he says. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who became his counselor, or who was first given to him that it might be paid back again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So in this very difficult concept of trying to how to figure the the Jewish covenant with the new covenant, in the end, God is going to be glorified even when we don't understand it. Even when we don't understand what God's doing. So it means that God will work it out to his glory. Um, We're not finished with the New Testament yet. 2 Corinthians, this is another passage. Oh, I love this passage. 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 8. Look at this. 2 Corinthians 1, 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our afflictions which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, listen to this, so that we despaired even of life. Is that a day of distress, rebuke, and rejection? He says, his guys were saying, Paul, Paul and his guys were saying, we're done, we're dead, it's over, we're finished. 
But wait, wait, wait. Come on. Look at verse 9. For indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. Did you hear that? Now, notice the word, the phrase, so that. That's the Greek word, hina. Hina, which is a purpose. So that. Here's, he's going to give you the purpose clause. So whenever you see so that, he's giving a purpose. So, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raised the dead. Did you hear that? He said, God is using this for the purpose that we wouldn't trust in ourselves. We wouldn't trust in our own understandings or our own perceptions. But that we would trust in God, that our, our faith would be strengthened. So even though we were thought we were going to die, guess what happened? Well, let's see what happened. Verse 10, who delivers us from such great a peril of death and will deliver us on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. So he delivered us from that, and now we know he's going to deliver us from other things. But wait, wait, going back to my, he's affirming my point. You also, in helping us, verse 11, through your prayers, people were praying for them, so that thanks may be given to many persons on our behalf. Now, do you remember our friend Abraham? He has his son, his own, the son of promise, Isaac. And what does God tell him to do? Go up to Mount Moriah and offer him up as a sacrifice. What? Well, yeah, I want you to go up and, and think about that. As he ties his son up and lays him on the wood and lifts up the knife, how could he do that? Think about it. The promised son, how, could he, how did he do that? Well, the answer is provided in Hebrews 11. You know what the answer is? For God, he considered that God was even able to do what? Raise him from the dead. <laughs> Just like Paul. That God was able to raise him from the dead. Finally, in Romans 15, 4, it says that all these things were written through the perseverance of the scriptures, that we might have what? Hope. So all that we've been talking about is written down. So that when the day of distress or the day of rebuke or the day of rejection comes, you might have hope. Because you cannot discount the sovereign work of God. Just about the time it looks like you're dead, God is at work in those things. Now, let's pause for a moment and make kind of an application. Now, you look like all happy people. You're smiling and happy. I know that some of you are in the midst of a day of distress. Amen. Or maybe a day of rebuke. <laughs> or maybe a day of rejection. One or more, or a combination thereof. And I'm not going to uh, discount, I'm not preaching at you like I'm, I've got my life all together. Let's include myself. What are you going to do? Well, I think it's important that you remember, you leave room for the sovereign work of God. He is not finished with you at all. And secondly, 
We need to bring all of our concerns to the Lord. Why don't we do that? Just insert your issue into my prayer, okay? I'll leave a blank. Dear Father, you know what, now insert yours, you know what I am going through. And you know it seems like it's overwhelmed me. It's a day of distress. It's a day where I've been rebuked. It's a day where I have been rejected. Or my work, or my children, or my home. And we, with a little bit of faith that we have, we, we ask you to intervene. Not to do what I want to do, but to do what you want to do. I know you're testing me in this. I know you're testing all of us in this. And you want us to come out with stronger faith. Trusting you even that you're able to raise the dead. As you raised your son Jesus from the dead. You'll raise this situation. And I pray for each one of my brothers and sisters in this building this morning. You might minister through them and open their eyes. They might trust you more and more. And you might shine light on their souls, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. But wait, we're not finished. There's more. It's important to let not to let one's pride and arrogance take control. It's important not to let one's pride and arrogance take control. Quickly, um, let's not just, uh, let's, let's kind of not just look at the Jews and Hezekiah and Isaiah, but there's another set of characters and that's Sennacherib and his armies. Look with me in verse um, 6. This is Isaiah's prayer. This is Isaiah's answer. Thus says, you shall say to your master, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid because of the words that you've heard with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Okay? Verse 17. Here's Hezekiah's prayer. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And listen to all the words of Sennacherib who sent them to reproach the living God. Okay? Uh, Verse 21. uh, Hezekiah prays and Isaiah gives him the answer. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent word to Hezekiah saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because you have prayed to be about the Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word the Lord has spoken against him. She has despised you and mocked you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She has shaken her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem, whom you have reproached and blasphemed. Who have you reproached and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and haughtily lifted up your eyes against the Holy One of Israel? Through your servants you have reproached the Lord, and you have said, with my many chariots I came up to the heights of the mountains, through whom it is part of Rebdom. I cut down his tall cedars and his choice shepherds. And I will go to the highest peak as thick as the forest. I dug wells and drank waters. And with the sole of my feet, I dried up all the rivers of Egypt. Then the Lord begins to speak. 
Have you not heard long ago I did it? From ancient times I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass that you should turn fortified cities into ruinous heaps. Therefore their inhabitants were short of strength. They were dismayed and put to shame. They were as vegetation of the field, as green herbs, as grass on the howtops is scorched before it's grown up. But I know you're sitting down, and I know you're going out, and you're coming in, and you're raging against me. Because if you're raging against me, here it is, because if you're raging against me, and your arrogance has come up to my ears, therefore I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way you came. Hmm. It's important not to let one's pride and arrogance take control. Sennacherib is filled with his successes. He's just marched down the whole coast of Israel, and boom, 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 boom. It's been nothing but great times are for the Syrians. However, he made two mistakes. First mistake, he thought he was unbeatable. He's what they call believing his own press. <laughs> He's believing his own press. Everybody is saying, hey, who can defeat the king of Assyria? Well, I can tell you one person who was about to do it, the living God of Israel. He thought he was unbelievable. He was unbeatable. He was not. Second thought, he equated the false gods of the pagan nations with the true and living God. They were just pieces of stone and wood. And he equated those dead gods, those phony gods, with the true and living God. His pride and his arrogance had taken control. Now, it says in Proverbs chapter 6, there's six things which God hates. You know what the number one thing in that list is? Haughty eyes. Pride and arrogance. In uh, James chapter 4, verse 6, it says that God, this is the expanded version, God is actively working against the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's what it says. Now, let me ask you a question. Don't raise your hands real quick. How many of you want God to be actively working against you? Anybody? 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 No? No, of course not. What do we want? We want God's grace, which is his unmerited favor. And it comes, it comes to the humble, not the proud. You say, well, yeah, those unbelievers, they're all proud, they're all arrogant. Oh, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Who do you think James was writing to? He's writing to the church. What? Bright and arrogance in the church? Yeah, I think so. Uh, two examples, real quick. Acts chapter 5. Do you remember? Barnabas and some of the folks were selling their property and giving it to the church to be used for the hurting people in the church. Remember that? And everybody's, oh, that's wonderful. Look at look Barnabas. He just sold a piece of property. And they, isn't that neat? And so this couple... Sapphira, Ananias, and Sapphira, what did they do? They sold a piece of land, and they gave, they said, we're given all the money that we got from this piece of property to be used for the Lord. Everybody, Way, that's really great, but wait, wait, wait. And what were they doing? Part, they held back part of it, and what they were looking for was the praise and the adoration of the people without really doing what they said, and they held a memorial shortly thereafter. 
<laughs> Remember Acts chapter 8, there was a guy in Samaria called um, Simon, and he was called the great power of God before he got saved. The apostles come up, a lot of people get saved, and even Simon seems to go along with it. He said he believed. And then when he saw that by the laying on of hands of Peter, that the Holy Spirit was given, do you remember? And he, what did he say? Hey, hey, Peter, let me give you some money so I can have the same power. Uh, see, what he wanted to do, he wanted to be the great man of power again. He wanted to be lifted up in pride again. And Peter said, you're, uh, you're caught up in the gall of bitterness and pride. Okay. So, a couple of things. A couple of things. Story is told, true story, of an Air Force officer who was transferred to Germany from America. Uh, he was transferred to Bagram Air Base in Germany. True story. And he had to go ahead of his kids and his wife. So he's over there a couple of months, and finally his wife gathers up the kids and all their luggage and everything and transfers it all the way from America to, uh, to Bagram Air Force Base in Germany. And she brought over 11 kids by herself. So she gets to the uh, customs, and uh, the man looks at the crowd and says, are all these children your children? Yes, sir. Are all... Are all, is all this baggage your baggage? She says, yes, sir. And he says, okay. And then he starts through his routine. Do you have any weapons, any contraband, any alcohol, any drugs? She looks at him weary and says, sir, if I had any of these, I would have used them by now. True story. When the day of, respect, of distress or rebuke come upon you, you, you need to remember these three things. Don't let pride and arrogance take control. Leave room for the sovereignty of God. Leave room. For, it, it's okay. Leave room for the sovereignty of God. But especially bring all your concerns. Bring all your concerns to the Lord. Pray with me, please. Father, we, we see oftentimes that events in this world, this sin-tossed world, um, overwhelm us. Like Hezekiah that day, the armies had defeated every town as he came down from the north, every city. They didn't have, they didn't have it. And we have to admit that many times we see ourselves in our circumstances. We don't, ha we don't have it. Like Paul said, that he and his friends thought they were going to be dead. But yet, 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 we want to come to you with prayer. We want to say to you, Lord, take control of me. Take control of the circumstances that I find myself in. That I might honor you by giving glory to you and allowing the sovereign, your sovereign work not forgetting that you're still in control. You're still working all things together for the good. In spite of our own lack of faith, in spite of our weak faith that's being tested and improved, may you 
get glory from our actions and our words, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.